This is a podcast of First Presbyterian Church of Trenton, Michigan, a gospel-centered community seeking to glorify God by making, maturing, and multiplying disciples. For more information, check out fpchurch.tv. Direct your attention to our scripture reading this morning, which comes from the book of Luke, chapter 11, verses 1 through 13. Now, Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have set nothing to eat before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent, or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Good morning. We do want to dismiss our kids. Uh, They're welcome to stay with us for the sermon, but if they want to head to their classes, they can do so at this time. Uh, If you've got your Bibles open to Luke 11, you're going to want to keep them there. That's where we're going to be spending our time this morning. We've got a lot of kids. That's great. I never get to see it from up here, so it's kind of cool. Would you please pray with me as we begin? Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather as your people, uh, to sit underneath your word, to learn from you, to be shaped by you, to to respond to your good word and all the things that you teach us there. Lord, I pray that you would do just that, that you would be glorified in and through us, that you would draw us nearer to you uh, through everything that happens here today, whether it's through Uh, through song, through hearing the word, through the fellowship that we have with one another. Lord, help us to see your goodness and your greatness more and more clearly, uh, moment by moment and day by day. God, as we are going to be looking at prayer, I pray that you would truly teach us to pray, teach us what it is to draw near to you and how you've made the way so that we can do that. Uh, And remind us again that, that you care so deeply for all of our needs. For those in this congregation who are struggling with a variety of situations, whether it's financial, whether it's uh, 
uh, with their health or with relationships. There are so many things uh, that we do have genuine needs, and we bring those to you right now, knowing that you care, knowing that you hear, and pray that you would bring resolution to the problems that we're facing, and pray that you would give us absolute reliance and trust in you, knowing that you are uh, the good God who hears our prayers. As we look to your word this morning, I pray that uh, we would hear you speak through it. I pray that uh, as I uh, speak and talk through this uh, Luke chapter 11, I pray that my words would be the ones that you've planned for me to speak and that your Holy Spirit would apply the truth to our hearts and shape us into the people that you want us to be so that you will be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. So when I was 16, I lived in Boise with my family, and we were getting ready to make a move from Boise to central Missouri. So dad went down there ahead of us, and we had bought some land, and he started building this house. And I knew this was coming, but it came kind of unexpectedly. Dad showed up one day and said, hey, pack your bags. A couple of days, you're going with me. We're going to go back, and you're going to help me build the house. So a few days later, I packed up my bags, and we were on the road. Now, at this time, I had this Jeep Grand Cherokee. It was an older model, but I still thought it was pretty cool. And this was going to be my car when we got down there. I'm getting to start this whole new life, and I get to build this impression. So I had plans for what I was going to do with this thing to make it this cool ride. So we're driving that down to Missouri in the middle of July. And of course, me being a 16-year-old kid, got my driver's license, dad's going to take a nap while I drive. And we're driving, and the dreaded check engine light comes on. So I jabbed dad, and I said, dad, the check engine light came on. What, what, what do you want me to do about it? And he said, don't worry about it. We'll just ignore it. We'll deal with it when we get there. Okay. So I did. We kept driving, got a little further down the road. Dad's still sleeping, and I look over and see that there was smoke coming out from underneath the dashboard where he was sleeping. So I jabbed a little bit harder this time, and I'm panicked, and I said, Dad, there's smoke coming out from underneath the dashboard. And he says what every logical person would say, turn the heat on and roll the windows down. It'll be fine. (laughs) So I did. He's Dad. He knows best kept driving it's only a couple minutes later and there was smoke billowing out from under the hood the car putters to a stop and this drive that should have taken us two days took us a week multiple stops at different mechanics trying to figure out what it was ultimately to make a long story short I didn't get to drive my Jeep Grand Cherokee when we got there we had to trade it in and I ended up with a 1985 Mercury Grand Marquis which is (laughs) not a cool car All of that could have been avoided had I stopped and had we paid attention to the check engine light earlier. And when we come to passages like this, where we, where we read the Lord's Prayer, this is something that we're familiar with. We know this. If you've grown up in the church, even if you haven't, you've probably heard the Lord's Prayer at some time. And when we come to passages on prayer in general, we know as Christians, prayer is something that we're supposed to do. We're supposed to talk to our God. So it would be easy to just blow right past this and think, yeah, I've got this. I understand prayer. I know what I'm supposed to do here. But I want to encourage us this morning to take this as an opportunity to pause and think 
like a check engine light, and ask yourself, and I want you to ask yourself this right now sitting here, how is my prayer life? Is it rich? Is it full? Is it growing? Is it consistent? Or is it a bit scattered? Is it inconsistent? Is it weak? And there's probably some people in here who could say, I don't have a prayer life, or at least nothing to speak of. Now, I know that there's a variety. I know that there are some of you who do have that rich prayer life, and I praise God for that. But I encourage you, until the day that you die, that can still keep growing richer and fuller because of who it is that we're praying to. Because our God is infinite, we can continue to grow deeper and richer in our prayer life. And for those who do struggle in that, who don't pray, know, we know that we don't pray as much or uh, how we should pray. We can come up with all sorts of reasons for why that is. Pastor Aaron talked last week about how distracted we are, whether it's with media or our cell phones. We're distracted by things so we don't pray. Could be because we are too busy, or at least we think we're too busy, when in reality we're just prioritizing other things over prayer. Or it could be that we don't really believe that it does anything. Now, I believe that if we dig down and we get down to the root of why it is that we might not pray the way that we should, it's because we don't really grasp, we don't really understand who it is that we're praying to. If we understood how good our God was, and we're going to continue to learn that more and more, the more that we are in the word, the more that we learn about him, if we understood that we are praying to a good heavenly father who not only cares deeply for his children, but is actually able to answer those prayers, I believe that our prayer lives would grow richer and fuller and deeper the way that they're supposed to. But we have to understand that our God is a good father. Now this kind of prayer life that we should want as Christians is not just going to happen by accident. You're probably not going to wake up in the morning and discover that you are great at praying. If you've ever heard somebody who's really good at praying, you know it's a good thing. We want to be able to pray like that. But it's something that we have to learn to do. It's something that we have to practice doing. That's exactly why in this passage Jesus' disciples ask him, Lord, teach us to pray. So, at this point in Luke's gospel, we're 11 chapters in. We've read and we've watched how Jesus has begun his ministry. He's become popular. He gathered all of these crowds. He's called his disciples. And they're now following him and they're observing all that he's done. His disciples at this point have seen him do amazing things. They've seen him cast out demons. They've seen him heal the sick over and over again. They've even seen him calm a storm on a sea with a word. They've heard him preach, they've heard him teach, they've heard him tell parables and do all of these things in a way that's effective and they've seen results in the people that were listening. And so now it comes time where there's a little pause and the disciples can ask a question. And the question that they ask that Luke tells us is not, Jesus, teach us how to cast out demons or teach us how to preach so that people will listen to us and we can gain a following like you. They ask, Lord, teach us to pray. Luke tells us almost a dozen times throughout his gospel of times that Jesus went aside to pray. 
Prayer was an essential, vital part of Jesus' life and ministry, and his disciples observed that. They saw that. They saw that the power, the authority that Jesus had was because of that prayer, that relationship to the Father. So they asked him, Jesus, teach us to pray. Now, when they were asking the question, they probably didn't fully understand what kind of answer Jesus would give. At that time, you had rabbis, you had teachers who would get disciples and they would follow them around and they would teach different forms of prayer, different kinds of prayer. So the disciples asked, teach us like John taught his disciples. They're looking for, I want to know the words that I need to say so that we can get good results, so that God will listen and answer our prayer. And Jesus does give them the guidelines that we have. He gives them the Lord's Prayer. But so much more than that. He goes on and he teaches them not just the words to say, but he teaches them about who it is that they're praying to. He teaches them about their Father in heaven. In fact, that is one of the most striking things about the prayer, is the fact that Jesus says, the very first word of the prayer that he says is, Father. At that time, the Jews would not even think of addressing God that way. When they would pray, it was, it was reverence. They understood that God was holy, that he was uh, unapproachable, that he was great and mighty, which is all true. They would only approach God with reverence. Remember, at this time, they still had uh, priests that had to be a go-between, between God and man. They had to have this mediator. So to address God as Father was something radical. Yet Jesus is teaching his disciples to address God as father. And he's doing this because he understands what nobody else at this point understands. He understood what he was there to accomplish. He knew that through his life, through his death, and through his resurrection, that he would reconcile humanity in their relationship with God. This relationship that had been broken by the fall, that had been broken by sin, that required now that there was a mediator between God and man, Jesus was going to reconcile that. He was going to make the way for his disciples and for us to be adopted into the family of God so that we can go to God as Father, so that we can have that close relationship to him. So in a very real sense, when Jesus models this prayer before his disciples, he's doing it as a big brother to his little brothers, showing how we are part of the family of God and therefore can approach our God as Father. I know when we talk about fathers, uh, there can be a lot of baggage there. We live in a time where there are lots of absentee fathers, where there are abusive fathers, and the fact is that even if a father is good, we still make mistakes. We're still sinners. We still hurt our children in various ways. So we have to understand that when Jesus is talking about God as Father, he's talking about perfection. He's talking about flawlessness, no sin, no mistakes, a God who cares for his children more deeply than we can understand and actually knows what we need. So it's when we understand that God truly is that good father, then our prayer life can become rich and full like it's supposed to be and like we should want it to be. Now, as we look at this passage, we could spend so much time learning about prayer. We actually... Uh, camp last year was we spent a whole week 
just dissecting the Lord's Prayer. But I want to look at three things in this section that when we understand that God is our Father, things that we can learn about prayer, things that we can expect to see in our prayer life. And the first is that we can have right priorities in prayer. In other words, we can know how to pray, what to pray. Have you ever sat down to pray, whether by yourself or with others, and you just don't know what to pray? Or you just jump in and start asking for all the things that you want because that's just what's on your mind at the time. I think we've all had that experience where we're just not sure what to pray for or how to do it. Which is why Jesus teaches his disciples, beginning in verse 2, saying, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. Just a little while ago, we prayed this prayer together. Now, the the version that we usually pray together is from Matthew. It's a little bit longer, but in essence, it's the very same prayer. They're the same petitions, asking the same thing. And yes, it's good to pray that prayer verbatim. It's good to recite that together. It's good to memorize that prayer. But it's Those aren't magic words. We ought not to stop there, but recognize that Jesus is teaching his followers uh, a pattern for prayer here. He's teaching the way that we should approach God, and that's what we need to learn. He starts off with these two vertical petitions. Notice first that when he addresses God, he says, Father, we already talked about that. There's that close intimate relationship that God's people have with God. But then he immediately moves to hallowed be your name. Means that God's name is holy, that God is is great and mighty and worthy of all praise. So there's a tension there where, like I said, the Jews at that time would only approach God as, as this great and mighty and powerful God and holy God. And that's still true. So there's a tension that we have to keep where, yes, our God is our Father, and he invites us near, and he invites us close, but he is still holy and great, and we dare not approach him lightly or flippantly because he is God. He asks that God's name would be hallowed, that God's name would be made holy in our lives, in the way that we respond to him and in the way that we live. And then he moves on and asks for God's kingdom to come. And in that, he's saying that he wants God's will to be done, as Matthew's gospel tells us. Recognizing that because God is God, because he is all-knowing and all-powerful, he actually knows what's best. We should want his will. Often we think that we've got our really good ideas, that if God would just do the things that we've got planned, it would work out great, and we would love that. But we need to acknowledge right at the beginning when we're praying that God knows what's best. We should desire his will, his kingdom, because that is what is best for the world and for us. So Jesus teaches them to start off recognizing who God is. So we're starting off by getting our priorities straight. Then he moves on to these horizontal positions where he talks about the things that we need in this life and in this world and in our relationships with each other. He asks For the daily bread, 
for those things that we need on a daily basis. We need food and water and shelter. He asks for forgiveness, which is something that we need daily because we are sinners. And he asks for protection from temptation. Because as long as we live in this world, that pull towards sin and away from God is constantly going to be there. Notice how all of those things that he teaches his disciples to pray are necessities. Physical necessities and spiritual necessities. They're things that we need for our life and our well-being. Now that doesn't mean that we cannot pray for things that we want. But it means that we need to get our priorities straight and recognize that we want God's will to be done. And that his will is to care for us. And then we ask him for those things that he's promised. If you remember, if your experience is anything like mine, when you grew up as a kid and you had the opportunity to pray, generally the things that you prayed for were those things that you wanted. Whether it was a toy or uh, uh, an event that you wanted to go to, those are the things that we would pray for over and over again. Because it's all we could think about. It's all we wanted And if we're honest, I fear that too many of us just kind of get stuck there. Those are the things that we pray for. We just jump right to that and ask for all those things that we want, that we think would make our life richer and fuller. But when we begin to understand more deeply who God is, then it becomes so much easier to ask for the right things. When we understand that God is almighty, all-knowing, all-powerful, and that he is good, then it becomes easier to ask for his will to be done because we know that his will is what's best. And when we begin to understand more deeply that he is our father who loves us, then it becomes easier to ask for his will to be done because we know that his will is not only good, but it's for our good. It's better for us. So then the things that we ask for more fully, more readily align with God's will. So it is a good idea to use this prayer, use the Lord's Prayer as kind of a rubric to lay over how we pray. Go to ask God for his will, recognize who he is, and then pray for those things that he has promised. And that's what Jesus taught his disciples. He did give them this guide for how to pray, but then he goes deeper. Because he wants them to understand who it is they're praying to. And when we understand that we are praying to a good father, we can be persistent in prayer. We can have the right priorities and we can be persistent in prayer. It is so easy when something comes up that we know we need to pray for, whether it's a prayer request on the prayer chain or something on Facebook or just something that comes to our mind and we throw up a prayer. We use that kind of terminology. I'm going to throw up a prayer to God. And we kind of do it casually and then we walk away and we don't think about it again. But that's not how Jesus taught his disciples how to pray. He gives an illustration and I want us to look at verse 5 to see how Jesus teaches this. And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. 
I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, or because of his persistence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. Now at this time, when Jesus is talking to his disciples, in that culture, hospitality was absolutely vital. It was an important thing. If a friend showed up, or even if a stranger showed up, you were to provide them with what they needed, with food and shelter. And they would often travel at night to avoid the heat of the day. So it would be no surprise for somebody to show up at midnight, hungry and tired, and he wasn't able to find uh, a 24-hour Taco Bell, so he goes to his friend's house. And he bangs on the door. And his friend, of course, wants to help him, but he's already gone through all of his daily rations of bread. He has nothing to offer him. So he goes over to the next-door neighbor and bangs on the door. And he's already asleep. I hate being woken up, which is really bad when you have four kids, and they wake you up all the time. But you know how hard it is when you're in a dead sleep to want to get up, and then especially if it means you're going to wake up your kids, and they're going to be, it's, it's a huge inconvenience. So the guy says, no, I, I, I can't do that right now. But because the need is urgent, he keeps banging on the door. And then eventually his neighbor is going to get up and give him what he needs so that he can be hospitable to his neighbor. Now, what this is not saying is it's not saying that God is asleep and doesn't really want to give us our needs when we ask. No, Jesus is using this example to take a sinful human who we get tired and cranky and don't always want to help and contrasting that with our good Heavenly Father. So if even this guy, when his neighbor is persistent, is willing to get up and give him what he needs, how much more... Will our Heavenly Father do that when we are persistent, when we're showing that we understand the need is important? See, when we pray, it's really easy for us to pray like we don't think what we're asking for is really all that important. Or we don't acknowledge and we don't understand that when we bring those needs before the Father, we're bringing them to the one who can actually do something about them. Someone who can actually answer. And we might think, uh, when I pray once and then I just leave it to God, I'm just proving my faith. And sometimes that may be the case. But often I believe we don't continually come to God in prayer. We don't keep bringing those needs to him because we're just lazy. Because it does, it takes effort to pray, to take time out of your day to bring those needs to God. But Paul, Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians, pray without ceasing. It should be part of our life constantly. When something comes to our minds, we should pray for it. And it's okay to pray repeatedly for the same things. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians that when he was talking about the thorn in his side, this thing that bothered him, that he wanted taken away, he says specifically, I asked three times for it to be removed. He was persistent in asking for that. And in this parable, Jesus is teaching his disciples and God is calling us to be persistent in prayer. Now our persistence doesn't convince God to do something that he wouldn't do. Just because you're persistent doesn't mean you're going to get the boat, the car, the house, the wife, whatever it is that you want. Your persistence does not sway God. But being persistent grows us. 
Because it's us practicing our reliance on God and recognizing that all of those things that we want and need actually come from our good Father who can answer those prayers. We shouldn't just ask for something and then go try and make it happen on our own. No, continue to bring those needs before the God who loves us and who cares for us. So though we can't convince God to do something that he wouldn't already have done, we can remind God of his promises. And that's what we should do in that persistence. Because God has promised many things in his word. He has promised to give us what we need. We see that even in this prayer. We remind God of those promises not because he forgets, but because we forget. We are short-sighted people, and we forget just how good our God is. That's why the first part of this is so important. We need to pray in line with God's will. If our priorities are right, then we can confidently be persistent. If we know that we're praying for the will of God, think of, think of mothers. We've heard so many stories about this. Mothers who prayed daily for the salvation of their kids who wandered away from the faith. And many who prayed for years and years and years before it finally came to fruition. Those mothers were praying as they should, persistently, because God has said he doesn't desire for those to be lost, but that everyone would come to knowledge of God, come to the faith. So we should pray for that. When your prayers line up with those priorities that Jesus set for us, we should keep praying persistently. Pray for the salvation of loved ones. Pray persistently for the forgiveness of your sins. This is a daily exercise. Because we sin daily, we should ask forgiveness daily. Pray persistently for protection from temptation, from those sins that plague us, that tempt us to draw us away. Pray persistently that God would revive and build up his church. He's promised that he would build his church, so we should pray for that daily, regularly, not just once, not just occasionally, but often. Again, not because God forgets his promises, but we forget them. And we forget the God who made them. It's because God is good that we can be confident that he will be faithful to fulfill his promises. 1 Timothy 2.13, I love how it says this, is if we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. Church, God at his very essence is good. He is goodness. He cannot deny himself. He cannot break those promises that he's made. So pray persistently in line with what he has promised us. And the last one is that when we understand that God is our good father, we can be expectant in prayer. I believe that far too often our prayers are weak and half-hearted because either we don't really believe that God can answer our prayers or we don't believe that he will. I think that's a common thing. It's easy to get distracted and forget and not truly believe, but Jesus addresses that, beginning in verse 9. He says, And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Six times there in two verses, Jesus says, 
when you pray, when you ask for those things in accordance with my will, in accordance with the priorities that I have just set, your good Father will answer. It is a guarantee. He goes on. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? He's using again this contrast between a sinful human father and the perfect, good, heavenly father. We know if my son Gage comes up and asks me for an apple and I slap him across the face instead, I'm a bad father, that's a bad thing. I know that I should probably give him the apple. He's not even asking for chocolate. This is shocking what Jesus is showing here. But he says, even you who are evil, and I know that sounds strong, but we are, we're sinful, we're broken, and even us who have a tendency to sin over and over again, we understand, we know how to give good things, the things that, that our kids need. How much more will your Heavenly Father give you what you need, give you the things that you ask for? Church, we need to learn how to pray, and we need to grow in our prayer, and that we expect that God will answer. We don't always know exactly how, we don't always know exactly when those answers are going to come, but if we are praying in accordance with his will, according to the priorities that he set, we can be confident that he will answer those prayers. There's no doubt there. It also means we do need to learn to ask for the right things. This does not mean that if you pray persistently and expectantly, you're going to get everything you want. Because this truth counts for all of God's children, all of his people, across the world, across time. That means this has to be just as true for that orphan in an impoverished nation who is struggling to get along. They can look to this in confidence, knowing that God is going to provide everything that they need, just as much as we can. Church, don't look at this and think that it means that you're going to be always perfectly healthy, always perfectly rich, or always comfortable, but it does mean that your Father will be faithful to give you those things that you need. The problem is we often think that the things that we need, we really don't. And look at how Jesus closes this teaching. He says, How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? He's saying here that the very best gift, the very best thing that we could ever ask for is the Holy Spirit. That one was convicting to me. How often do we ask for more of the Holy Spirit? How often do we ask for that gift which we should understand is the best thing that we could have? We get so sidetracked by all these lesser things that we forget to ask for the Holy Spirit. See, our God is a giving God. Just in the fact that he created us and then in the fact that God the Son came and lived and died in our place, the death that we deserved, so that we could be reconciled to the Father, so that we could become adopted sons and daughters of the King, so that we could come to the Father boldly. But the giving doesn't stop there. 
He gives of himself in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God who indwells his people, who lives with us, who gives us the ability to put our sin to death, who gives us the ability to obey God, who fills us with joy and peace and all of those things that we truly need. The one who even helps us to pray. In Romans 8.26, Paul says that the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes with us with groaning too deep for words. Church, when we don't know what to pray for, we've been given this guideline, we've been given the priorities, but most importantly, we've been given the Holy Spirit. When we're at a loss, Ask for the Holy Spirit, and God has promised that he will give him to us. And he helps us to pray. He grows us in our prayer. So when we talk about wanting to grow in our prayer life and for it to be richer and fuller, it's not about just trying harder so that we can pray better. It's about learning increasingly to rely on the Holy Spirit to teach us and guide us into prayer. We do have to stop trying to go through life, if you have been, and many of us have, stop trying to go through life without a reliance on prayer. Stop thinking that we can just do it and pray whenever things get really bad. If we're not praying according to the will of God, persistently and expectantly, we can't expect to be weak. We can expect our personal spiritual lives to be weak, to be lacking. The same goes for our families and for the church. This is something that we should not put off until later. This is not something to wait until next January and start a new year's resolution and say, ah, now I'm going to pray better. This is something to start now because it's so vital and so important. But hear me on this. I'm also not trying to make you feel guilty. I'm not trying to say, if you don't do this, you're going to be punished. Or if you don't do this, you're going to go to hell. I'm trying to say there is a table laid for us as God's children with all the blessings we could ever want in relationship with our Father through his Son. All these blessings that are freely available that he wants to give to us. And prayer is one of those. And prayer is a way that we receive those blessings and grow in that Why would we not want to make use of that? It's something that is freely available to us. We just need to partake of it. So my encouragement to us this morning is prioritize prayer. Prioritize it in your personal life, on your own. Prioritize it with your family, with your spouse, with your kids. It's our job as parents to make sure that we're teaching our kids who it is that they're praying to. We're not just throwing up words into the air and hoping that they land somewhere. He is a person, a good father who hears us and cares for us, and we need to be teaching that to our kids. Prioritize prayer with your church family. We wonder sometimes why why this church, the church in general, why does the church struggle? Why don't we have the unity that we desire? Why don't we see revival? Why doesn't the church grow? Why aren't we moving forward in holiness and sanctification well church how often do we actually pray together 
for the church and for each other. There are so many opportunities that we can do that. Find some other saints, some other brothers and sisters. Gather together and pray. Come pray here. Come before service. Come on Wednesday night. Let's pray together as the church for the church. I asked you at the beginning to to question yourself. How is your prayer life? And I want us to keep doing that. My hope is that we'll go home and we'll meditate on that and actually think, how is my prayer life? Is it growing? Is it thriving? But more than that, I want you to meditate on who it is that we have the opportunity to pray to. Think about how amazing it is that we're invited into the presence of the Holy God and He is our Father who cares for us. I encourage you to meditate on that, not so that you'll feel guilty, not so that you'll feel bad about maybe not having prayed the way that we should, but so that we will see what is available to us, this privilege that we have, and so that we'll make better use of it. We have absolutely nothing to lose and so much to gain by drawing near to the Father in prayer as he has taught us to do. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you so much that you've taught us how to pray. We thank you that you made the way for us to pray through your son, Jesus, that we can come directly and boldly before the throne of grace. Lord, I pray that you would help us to pray, that you would give us the desire to pray, that you would help us to understand the importance of prayer, that you would shape us in prayer. Lord, help us to not feel as if it's an obligation or something that we have to do to please you or something that we have to do to somehow earn favor with you, but that it is a privilege that you have given to your adopted sons and daughters. And Lord, help us to partake of it on our own, with our families, with our church. Lord, help us to grow in that. And I pray that we would see our lives change and our our walk with you grow and deepen as we do that. Lord, help us to pray in accordance with your will. Help us to pray persistently and faithfully and regularly. And help us to pray expectantly, knowing that you are faithful to fulfill your promises. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been a podcast of First Presbyterian Church in Trenton, Michigan. For more information, please visit us online at fpchurch.tv.